This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. This is Arjun. And this is a podcast that I really wanted to do as it grew on me. So first, let me share a little bit about my VIP guest, Bob Yuri, and then let me share why this is very exciting. Bob Yuri recently retired from his role as president and CEO at Central Houston, and also, which is also part of these following organizations is Houston Downtown Management District, the Downtown District, Downtown Redevelopment Authority, which is also known as DRA. Uh, Bob is a champion of downtown and its rebirth as a central hub and is beloved for his ability to unite political, civil, and business leaders. And what was fascinating with my conversations with Bob is I got a chance to meet Bob, my next door neighbor, to first learn that this is a man who counts his marathons intense. This is a person, I see him running just another 10, 12, 15 miles on given morning. And I got a chance to know this incredible human being little bit at a time because he's really modest. And I'm very fortunate that I have had a conversation with him about this podcast because this podcast has two different parts. One is, of course, is very fascinating to be in Houston, how the city has evolved and is evolving. But the second part that is there is during my conversation with Bob, what I realized is this is a man who has one word missing from his vocabulary, which is I. And that really fascinated. And with that, Bob, welcome to Secrets to Win Big. I'm really excited about this conversation today. Well, thank you for having me aboard. Uh, I've really looked forward to doing this. This is, this is really great. So Bob, let's start with something fun. The beginning of how your passion started with the city of Houston, it just feels like he was doing everything to recruit you. There's a fascinating story about your for the first house you live in. I don't want to take anything away from the story. Would you share that story? It's absolutely fascinating. I'll be happy with, with you. just a little bit of a personal background here to kind of set the stage. Uh, after I completed, uh, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, after completing the undergraduate uh, uh, program uh, in architecture at the University of Cincinnati, I actually was working for the University of Louisville in an urban studies center. And I had a wonderful opportunity uh, to on a fellowship at Rice University in Houston, uh, and also to be able to work in a newly formed urban research center. So uh, I accepted the, the offer and, and uh, we, were, we were bound for Houston. Uh, and so I flew down before we, we moved to try to find a place for my young family to, to, to live in. And uh, I was staying with some friends. And uh, in fact, they had 
uh, loaned me their VW Bugs so I could drive around the city and see if I could find a, a rent house for us real quick. I'll be honest with you, I didn't do well. And by, by dinner time, I was like getting, oh man, I'm running out of time. I have a day, I need to get back tomorrow morning to, to Louisville. And so uh, fortunately there was a neighbor sort of across the fence said, you know, I saw that we saw this house, it's kind of dirty, but we ought to, we, maybe you ought to go take a look at it. So our friends, we jumped in the car, we went over and looked at it and uh, Price was right. It was in a great school zone, even though I didn't know it for our two young kids. and. Uh, and and so my friend outside was sitting there going, he said, just just go in there and tell this woman that you'll take it. And so I thought, no, let me think about it a little bit. So I slept on overnight, called the owner in the morning and she said, Bob, you know, I really want you in there. So she dropped the rent. So she dropped it. To, it was one hundred eighty dollars a month. And, and so I said, I'll take it. Well, uh, it's, it's so we did. So we moved in in August. Uh, but the truly incredible thing about it, when I think about it, and where my life has sort of gone over the last decades, is that, is it turns out, this woman, a judge, her name was Gerald D. B. Tennant, um, it, she was a direct descendant of Gail Borden, and actually, actually Borden's milk, but Gail Borden, who actually laid out the original town plat for the city of Houston in 1836. And I just, I, to this day, I keep going, how was it that you arrived at it and lived in this house that connected basically right back to the beginning of the city? Um, what are the odds? Well, I don't know. You know, to, you know, reflecting back on your incredible impact for your team, and I'm just also learning from you not to talk about you, but your team, because, you know, that's a huge lesson for me. This has not been an easy journey because your career has been bookended by two incredibly big challenges. First was the oil bust of 1980s, and of course, just before you retired the coronavirus pandemic came in, you know, neither slowed you and your team down. And in both cases, you found ways to take the city to the next level. So let's start with the oil bust. You know, you're just starting on a job, incredibly excited. How did you navigate your team through the crisis? Because that crisis could have defined the energy capital of the world. So it's a huge responsibility. How did you do it? Well, let me just start by saying, <clears throat> since we were just starting an organization, it was a lot easier to, for all of us to really weave our way through this because we really didn't we didn't have any operating experience in in the the boom basically that preceded the bust, and so um, that was a great starting point uh when we came but let me also say this the whole reason for creation of central houston back in 1983 was that the civic leaders at that time recognized the fact that downtown was sort of moving toward being an office park it had about 10 million square feet of brand new buildings either finishing up construction or just newly opened and so we i think there was a real concern that we really needed to really work on all the other pieces of a down, what makes a downtown, which is being able to place you can live and you can play and there's things to go to and uh, all of the things that we think of when you think, when you close your eyes and you think about what a city should be and what it should feel like, 
it's really that picture that you're really trying to create. And so um, the, the good thing was is, is that the, there was also sort of a mind shift once we really began to slip into the, into the oil bust. Yes, it was very difficult. You had companies that were going away. You had banks that were in trouble. Uh, and so there was a, you know, a series of, in the business world, really difficult situation. But on the other side of that, there were a lot of people who had come to Houston, just like me, who had begun to say to themselves, am I going to leave town and go back? And I wasn't about to do that, just taking this job. But, uh, but or am I, going to, am I going to actually contribute to making Houston and downtown feel really great? And so you, you had almost sort of this new energy of, of engagement that we perhaps didn't see a decade before. And so, um, you know, that really opened the door for us to begin to find consensus on the projects that we need to move forward with. And there were, there were I, I won't go into great detail about it, but there was, you know, we, our transit authority was brand new. It had just suffered a loss in a bond referendum. And so we had to kind of get the act together and figure out what a new transit plan would be for Houston and move fast uh, to sort of fill the gap. Um, we partnered with the city and the county, uh, and this is back to the we again, <laughs> we're all of us working together to uh, really create a series of value parks and greenways to give downtown basically a waterfront at that time. Um, we learned that we really needed more tools to even do what we were trying to do. So we went to the legislature in, in Austin and we were able to to, to get the tools we needed for the management district and for tax increment reinvestment zone for us to be able to have money and in, in, in the wherewithal really to be able to pull off a number of projects, including totally kind of totally rebuilding the street network and the public realm in downtown. Uh, and, and at the same time, really being able to get the right incentives in place so we could do historic rehabilitation, which was coming into vogue as office space was very, very cheap, that there were older buildings that made more sense as residential, especially historic buildings. So it gave us the opportunity to do that. And then we found that um, uh, the, what sort of came along very quickly was, uh, and really kind of in many ways, one of the biggest blessings of all, we discovered that you know having professional sports downtown would be a good thing, and so we worked extremely hard uh, on being able to bring first of all baseball from the Astrodome uh, to downtown, and then that was really followed by the Houston Rockets coming downtown uh, at Toyota Center, and then uh, thirdly and a little bit more recently was really creating a new stadium ground up for a major league soccer team giving us three professional major sports facilities and at honestly to at today's market a remarkably good price uh, back when they were, were built so it, it, sort of all of these things sort of working together really began to kind of quickly bring us out of the out of the uh, hole and that maybe quickly is really the wrong word only from the standpoint when i look back at it in 83, it took about from 83 into 85 before we really began to hit into the bottom of, of the oil bust. Mm -hmm. It took easily another decade to begin to really come out of it. So anybody looking for quick success, it doesn't happen. It takes time for, for everybody to work together to get there.
you also have to have consensus about making it happen. And we were able to do that. And then, um, uh, you know, and then things really begin to kind of pick up from there. So um, fortunately we had the staying power and we had the engagement and commitment of the entire community to really pull this off. So, um, uh, you know, fortunately by the time we hit the millennium, the new millennium, uh, I think that that really in many ways is sort of the point you could say we really are beginning to take off on a path where you could really see tremendous progress and also really see the vision for downtown coming together. Well, well you know, I'm taking a lot of notes as you're talking and there were four wisdom nuggets that really hit home. One is in a crisis, this phrase that he used really, I love this, is weave your way through a crisis. Second is this whole energy of engagement. I think that defines you, I love that. Then creation starts with a bigger purpose. And finally, anyone looking for a quick success, it doesn't happen. You know, you also talked about responsibility towards everyone. You know, Bob, at the core, you are a human being. You know, just starting a career, there must have been days when looking at the uncertainty of the oil bust, you know, they were, it was worrisome, it could impact you. So personally, how would you navigate through uncertainty? That becomes a good lesson for the rest of us. Well, you know, one of the, the good things you already kind of uh, uh, opened the door on this is, let me just say at a personal level, uh, one of the things I think that was extremely important was I ran my first marathon about four months before <laughs> we started Central Houston. And, uh, and I, I've, I've often thought about it and I thought, you know, to some extent, <laughs> having the goal and the sort of toughing it out through a marathon was probably not not bad training uh and i never really quit and and so uh, i think that that certainly helps and then i would also say this that that uh, as a whole i'm generally a person who's pretty optimistic and um you just in a sense have to look on the positive side even if it's <laughs> it takes some work to do uh, as we were moving forward. But, uh, you know, I would say this back in those days, um, we were new. And so, it, it, you know, the truth is, is everything we were doing, we, we were on sort of a new path. And there's the excitement that comes along that uh, with that, even, you know, if the waters are pretty rough that we're trying to paddle through. I love that. So, Bob, now, now let's go to the second crisis, which is the coronavirus, the pandemic. You know, this one was a little different because recently when I was talking to, without mentioning names in cities in you know, uh, Wisconsin, some cities, especially downtowns, did turn into ghost towns because of COVID. So what was the vision? How did you and your team hang in there, rechannel your energy to get us through and heading forward? What was the vision? Well, I think, as we all know, and I think we we all participated in this um, very large group learning process uh, with, with with COVID because this this really was totally new charted territory for any of us uh, going into it. Um, what we 
what we immediately found and it was this, the office sector, the workplace was the first thing affected and, and, and largely because downtown has about 160,000 employees in it. It, it does, it, it's a huge piece of the Houston economy and it's just, and uh, very clearly when people cannot come to work, you know, it, we, we know the story of what's happened in terms of uh, us being able to creatively figure out how to work basically from home. Uh, that, that really opened the door. What we did in the early days, though, because everybody was trying to navigate this, was, was really becoming a conduit for information. We could serve in a collective role to be able to see what hap is happening on those buildings, how many people are coming, actually showing up at work, uh, because there's many essential employees that even if there was an overall city stay-at-home order, there you, you had a situation where people had, they needed to be at work. I mean, they had to be, and they had to be for the, either the company or for the community or whatever it might be. And so, um, you know, sort of really monthly uh, or even more frequently getting the word out on exactly here's where we stand statistically on what's back. But then there are th also then things like our transit authority. We have about 20, 30, excuse me, excuse me, 31, 32% pre-COVID of the downtown workforce actually uses transit to get to work. And so one of the issues, of course, you have is the transit authorities like one, we've got a safety issue just with being on a train or a bus. But the second issue is, is what's the demand look like? If people aren't coming to work, you know, what do we do? We're not going to put vehicles out there. We're going to offer the service that we normally would. So there is this back and forth where we're trying to, again, link the partners, our transit authority, Metro, and, and, the, and the corporate employers and de-employers actually in downtown. So we had that working along as well. That then carried over into the other parts of, the, of it. So the restaurants, the restaurants are also curious about what's happening because obviously where does their, where's their clientele come from? And then needless to say, the travel business was you know, devastated in this. And so part of that was beginning to work with them and push. Actually, one thing that was very successful was getting to push staycations uh, once it became a little bit more safe. The hotels were basically safe. The issue was is that no one was really getting on a plane and traveling anywhere. And so, you know, offering at a very favorable price, uh, a package and a hotel uh, in downtown for the weekend was, a, was a, you know, worked out great. So the restaurateurs hung in there. Fortunately, we have about 10,000 people living in downtown. And so in, in some ways, the downtown residential market has done pretty well during COVID. But thank God that's given a base. It's helped to keep at least a, a certain amount of business in the restaurants and other services that, that people use. So that um, in, in, in many ways, we've been in performing sort of this glue function uh, between all of these different sectors um, during COVID. Um, and, you know, I think, I, the, the good news is, I think at this point, we seem to be pretty much on our way back. It's feeling much, much, much better. The occupancies in the building, the folks showing up in the buildings now, we're really above 60% now, uh, and it's working its way back. One issue is we don't know what we're working back to because we realize that the work 
the old nine to five, five day a week work week is, it probably isn't. It, it, it's probably gonna be a very new, very new regimen that people have. Clearly Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays seem to be a more day when you'll see more people at work. Fridays seems to be the day that probably you might see by far the last, the least um, as, as people sort of have this sort of hybrid work schedule that the companies and employers seem to be working with. You know, and as you're talking about this, and I'm reflecting, I'm just, just totally wowed by what you and your team have done, because as you are leaving your current role, your team have totally transformed downtown. It has become a thriving urban center with thousands of new residents, stylish hotels, sports, entertainment venues we've talked about, civic spaces. Now, somebody like you to go through a, such an incredible career as the leader of an amazing team, it has to be, there has to be a big vision. So what's your vision for the future of Houston and how does Houston get there? <laughs> That's a big question, <laughs> as, as it turns out. You on this. You know, I, I, my sense is this. Uh, there's, there's some characteristics of Houston that, are, that, to me, still to this day, sort of amaze me. One is, um, uh, it's, this is a city where people work very, very hard. Uh, and um, uh, it, it is a city where people want to work, they enjoy working, they roll up their sleeves, and they really kind of go to it. So that environment is very important. The second thing is, this is a city that um, really accepts everybody, and it, it, we we have just a, you know it, it really in some ways it, it, our city is sort of the United Nations. You know, when you really kind of look at it in terms of the fusion of cultures that really exist in this city, which I think. It helps tremendously. That's been the that's been helped with a lot of things. One of the things, obviously, with energy, which is global, means that there are many people from other countries around the world that that work here or live here, or we work with them. And there's a lot of international travel, and so I think that is a huge asset when it comes together. The 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 third, I mean, let's say the third thing would really be that. Uh, this is a this is a city that builds things. If you really look at what's happened with energy, it's really been uh, it's 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 been the creativity, engineering skills, science skills to really be able to work with energy. But you know when you really look at that behind you know back, there's a lot of both you know now technical and technology involved in that, but they're also has traditionally been a great deal of building uh, that is that is part of it, and um, you know the exact same thing carries over into space. Uh, when you look at the role NASA's had and sort of having have had Johnson Space Center here for you know well over fifty years, it is it is it, 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 it that also carries forward. So you kind of look at those is the fundamental sort of behind what we've got, and I think. The challenge facing us, obviously, for the future is as we reduce carbon, what what will what will happen in the energy industry, and what will happen at what rate of speed? And so, you know, clearly, a transition is occurring, 
and 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 what you'll I think will happen here is is our city will clearly find its way in a in, in be a part of that change because it has to be just given the fact it's so energy focused. And so um, I think that plays in very well. The other thing that I think is happening is this is a city that has some real extremes, some extremes in wealth. It has some extremes in where we live according to our income or wealth levels within it and really disparity there and some separation. So I think that there are some social issues that I think we as a city have to begin to bring together. Um, but it is a city that has a heart that does lift up people. So I think that's actually a possible thing. So um, uh, it's in some ways the future, I think the future's still hugely big for our city, but I also feel that it's gonna take sort of the same set of skills we've had all along, our ability to accept people, to work with new people, to learn, to build, to create and build. And um, uh, sort of all of that continuing is, as we go forward, there is no laying back on our, our, um, uh, on our successes of the past, or, or for that matter, wealth at this point uh, as we go forward. You know, Bob, that's really inspiring because you literally, with your words, took a blank canvas and painted for us where the city is going. And to me, I'm just finishing literally one year in Houston, and I'm really, really excited to move to Houston. So, Bob, as we talk about your retirement, for a lot of people, retirement means different things. But to me, I really think with you, and it is ironic, not ironic, it is like iconic that you being in the energy capital is energy personified. That's who you are. So how are you going to rechannel your energy? Like what, what is Bob Uri doing next? Well, well I, on this one, I want to be just totally frank with you and say, I'm not totally sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so truth, truth has to be it's sad here when it comes to that. Uh, I retired back in, in, in October, although I've been continued to help out on, on several projects, which are I do believe are important. Uh, 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 I, I want to stay involved. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed so much and, and it's meant so much to me to be involved in the advancement of this city that I just can't see me kind of being off uh, in a cabin somewhere by myself and or my with Gail, my wife, I just don't, I just don't see that's really kind of the picture ahead for me. I still see being involved. Uh, there are two things that I'm, I'm working on right now, uh, along with my former colleagues, and and we're all, we all are <laughs> working on this together. Uh, we've we've really been very involved in sort of trying to find a new way to to actually do. Re, there's a huge rebuild of freeways in the central part of the city by the Texas Department of Transportation, and we've we've really been work, looking at ways of reconnecting communities and trying to make urban freeways feel and the way they fit into the community in a much better way than they have in the past where they basically were slashed through communities and especially low income communities. So we've been doing some, I think some very interesting work there and we're continuing to do so. The second piece that I'm 
I will admit I'm going to stay involved in is in, in the process of our work over the years in downtown, I've become very, very interested in, in ending homelessness. And um, uh, I know most people will kind of say, you know, really end homelessness? Well, I'm not sure you ever completely end it, but I think what it does mean is that if one were to fall into circumstances of homeless, they shouldn't have to be there long, that there are paths and there's ways sort of out of that. And uh, we've made tremendous progress here in this city on that. Uh, and uh, uh, we learned a great deal back in the 90s and uh, in, into 2000s. Um, believe it or not, our city, uh, back when Katrina hit New Orleans back in 2005, we, we housed over 150,000 people within a few months here in our city that came from New Orleans. And these, these weren't all, these weren't homeless people necessarily. They, they were situationally homeless, but I, I, it's not the homeless we think of when we think of cities. But I was amazed, it was amazing how Houston was able to do that. I mean, to just to, to put it together to do it. So when you've been able to do that, you could easily be able to, you know, house, let's say 10, 15,000 homeless people, which we've been able to do. In fact, since 2012, we've had a coordinated effort called the Way Home to put house people. We've housed over 25,000 individuals, believe it or not. And uh, we continue to do that with some new funds in COVID relief and um, opening up sort of some new and creative ways to better have all the services, especially mental health and uh, substance abuse treatment and our criminal justice system sort of working with our homeless housing and service system. I think we're beginning to make some real breakthroughs at this point. In fact, we're right on the verge right now of being the first major city in America of ending chronic homelessness, um, which is just remarkable. And it's, but it's, you know, we're not done and there's more to be done in this sector. But uh, I, I'll have to say uh, I'm deeply committed personally. And again, it's one of these things, it's a, it's a, it's a we. There are a lot of people involved in this as, 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 you know, since we work together to create a seamless system to help somebody who may have mental illness, may have substance abuse issues, and may be co-occurrence, but to help them move from the street into basically permanent housing. And in many cases, with having continual service uh, that they need to help with their conditions. And, and so um, uh, I, I'm committed and uh, we, we're, there are many other people who are committed, thank goodness. Uh, and I really look to expect to see even more really tremendous progress in this space. Well, thank you for being so committed because in my work, I just see three levels of super professionals. Group level one is people who are good at what they do. Then when you find people who are good at what they do, but then also they have fun doing it. Of course, it's fun working with them. But then there's level three, and that's who you are. Is not only you are good, you are having fun, but you're also looking at the end impact. And I really, you know, I'm honored that as you shared about homelessness, understanding the causes and totally, you know, helping people get through it and remove it. 
I think the impact will be bigger than just in Houston because I really see that kind of a empathetic caring model would go to every city in the country and beyond. I want to change gears and ask you two final questions. One I have to ask is running a marathon or running marathons has been an integral part of your life. Why does Bob run? <laughs> you know, um, it, it's really funny. Uh, I was a little overweight. Uh, in fact, when I was uh, uh, in junior high school, one of my classmates had the audacity to start calling me Porker. Uh, and so uh, on our kitchen wall at home here, there happens to be <laughs> these these pencil drawings that this guy drew drew of me in the eighth grade uh, at Barrett Junior High School of Porker. So sort of carrying that image forward as we moved into the in my twenties, uh, married, you had to come to Houston. You've heard the story, and working a million hours a day, I realized I was not in good shape, overweight, and I really needed to do something. So on my 29th birthday. I went to a little playground in a Catholic school right at the end of our street, and I, I did a few laps on my birthday, and that was the first time I ever run. It really, you know, at all, and not be, and it wasn't beautiful. I'll just make sure you understand that. And I never stopped. Uh, the next day, I got up, did the same thing, and I just sort of kept going. And I had a colleague who was working with me at Rice at the time who's an excellent athlete, and he kind of said, Yuri, you're never going to keep that up. I bet you you will never keep that up. And so uh, just recently, <laughs> I had lunch with him, and I said, I feel so good. I can report back that I run over 80,000 miles now, Jack, and done 54 marathons, uh, and I'm still running. And when the day I get up and think about it, it, not running, I think about you, and that makes me run. And so I have, um, uh, it has really been in many ways what I needed to be the offset to every other thing going on in very, very busy life. Just one, being in good shape physically, but two, something that's completely away. But the other thing great about running is it, I don't run with anybody and it's great time just to think uh, and cogitate about any of the things or stuff that doesn't have any relative, relation to the stuff I'm generally involved in every day. 80,000 miles, 54 <laughs> marathons and you are, you keep going, Bob. Bob, here's a you know, taking the conversation personal, let's say all of a sudden you're going to meet two people. It's Bob, 16-year-old, Bob, 100-year-old, who's still running, and you. Where do you think that conversation will take place and what would you guys, three of you, talk about? Well, that's, a, that's a very, first of all, that's a question that really takes some work to get your head around. But I've got to say that it, it um, I think it would take place at Discovery Green, which for those that don't know it is a wonderful uh, urban park. It was built about 12, 15 years ago uh, in, in downtown, about 11 acres. And it's, it's won all kinds of national acclaim. 
just because of its it's programmed it just feels so good it's used by all types of people in our city from all over the region believe it or not use this park and enjoy it and so i could see us sitting there at the park now you know if bob of 16 was at the park he'd be checking out the girls uh uh but uh you know uh you know, he also, I got to be fair to say that, I, yes, at that time, I did know a certain lady, a girl named Gail, who happens to be my wife now, um, at that time. Uh, but, you know, it, uh, I think I would be sort of saying to him, uh, you know, it's a good, it's a good thing that you had training and leadership as a Boy Scout. And that that really mattered because 16 is about the 10th grade or something like that. And I was actually teaching other kids my age, basically leadership skills. And I think that was, I, I think about it later and just think how incredibly important that was. And my father was very involved in scouting. And I think he it was helpful because he really in many ways serves as a mentor, served as a mentor uh, in that area. And then the other thing it would, would be is, is um, uh, you know, Bob at 16 was all excited about being an architect. Uh, and fortunately, he set his mind on being an architect in the, at 16, even before 16, really, probably about the eighth grade, uh, that he was going to be an architect. And as it turns out, he interviewed somebody and he was going to, he had already kind of decided he was going to go to school at the University of Cincinnati, which has which had a, has a wonderful co-op program. It's great design school. And so um, uh, I think the Bob of 74 would, that's my age, the Bob of today would have said, you know, it's really great that you went to architecture school and you learned about building things. Uh, it's really good that you're not a practicing architect, <laughs> that, that you basically, you work with them. <laughs> but you're really building in a very, very different way because you're building socially at the same time you're building, you're building physically. There's, 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 there's a, it's a lot bigger picture than just, just the sticks and bricks of, of, of structures. And then the Bob at the hundred, well, that's a little bit harder to, to really kind of put together. I suspect I would be at that point, uh, the Bob of a hundred would probably be really laying back and just enjoying the wonderful scene uh, in, in this incredibly diverse crowd of people in the park in, with a downtown skyline around my downtown around them. And uh, I think he would be, uh, the Bob of 100 would be uh, very much uh, enjoying the scene um, and, and uh, before he took off on uh, his daily run. <laughs> yes. Love that. Bob, this is a fascinating conversation. And thank you for sharing from your heart. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want our listeners to know? Well, uh, one, one you've just uh, mentioned, and, and I feel very strongly about it, and we've talked about it multiple times in this conversation. I really don't, I don't use I much. I do, I usually say we as you just said, you start at the very top with that. And I just think it's so hugely important because it, it, it's affected so much of what I've been able to do uh, in, in life. And um, 
the only thing I would just say about that is when I come home and I talk about we, Gail usually has to kind of say, you know, now who do you mean? Is this Gail and Bob or which we are you talking about here? <laughs> so um, uh, I, there, there are some downfalls with this we too thing. Uh, and I just want to make everybody aware of that. <laughs> okay, if you have a significant other. Uh, and so uh, uh, I, think, I think that's, that's there as well. Um, and, uh, uh, and then, you know, you brought up, the, we've talked about the, the running. I think it's important that I have had the ability to have this sort of alter ego almost of going from what I do all the time to this other special time when I've been basically running uh, and in the faith quite frankly, that, that comes along with it, that's given me the perseverance and the desire to want to help others. Uh, and I think that um, it's, it's few people, I think, could really have the joy that I've had in really being able to serve in that capacity for so long. And Bob, when you talk about we, I think, you know, this is a big lesson for a lot of us is, you know, it's fun to celebrate I. But when I look at your impact till date and bigger impacts are also, you know, around the corner is from the waterfront to the metro, the park and ride, rebuild downtown streets, you know, park and public places, you know, homelessness, way home, everything. I think when I look at if you had accomplished one of these, that itself would have been big for an individual. But I think this is a big lesson for us is to accomplish that much. That's the power of unleashing the we is more important than the I journey. So Bob, you have asked, answered every question asked. It's only fair I give you an opportunity. Is, is there anything you want to ask me? Well, uh, let me let me just uh, I do. As a matter of fact, and I said uh, uh, we've we've now known each other for about a year, uh, and um, uh, it's funny how we connected through Louisville, <laughs> remarkably, over time. But what I have just been so uh, incredibly uh, excited and, and impressed about is is just your ability to. I, I see what I think many people can't see. And, and, and sometimes it seems to be obvious, but you're so incredibly good at it. And um, I'd love to just, just sort of get your thoughts when you've looked at our city and it's downtown of just, just your, your top of head thinking, just sort of, uh, uh, you know, what are you seeing that you, and what are you seeing it might be opportunities that maybe we're not seeing at this point in time. You know, to me, I'm so glad you asked because Houston, I did not know Houston, okay? So to me, in a way, I felt Houston has been like an arranged marriage. After I got married, I'm discovering the city, okay? Every city markets itself, brands itself. Only after I moved to Houston, I'm discovering one, Again, I don't have the numbers, you do. But to me, I don't think there's a city as cosmopolitan at a bigger level in, you, you know, in US. And this compares, like to me, I feel similar feeling when I am in Toronto, okay? Secondly, 
you know, cities like New York, San Francisco have incredible local restaurants. Other cities brag, but they are mostly chain, regional chains. I was pleasantly surprised, and again, I'm very fortunate to live in this part of town that I can walk to so many incredible restaurants. These are all world-class restaurants. Okay? Like I came to this city when I went to a restaurant, I thought it was Mexican rest food, and I asked for fajitas. They educated me, it's Peruvian food. All South American foods are not the same. I realized all Asian food is not the same, da Arjun. And I really feel that that's the part where this is such a fascinating city, but somehow, somewhere, I really feel for some reason, when you brand a city on one dimension, which is energy, we forget that cities are not one dimensional. It's each one of us make the city because I really think that this is such a fascinating city. Geographically, it is so dispersed. It's a huge city. And I really feel this is America's best kept secret. So, you know, I'm really excited to enjoy the city. I'm really excited to have you as a mentor to guide me through. But incredible human beings I have met and people here are open. That's the big thing I'm learning is in one year, I have met at least 10 amazing friends. I don't measure friends based on superficial connection. I measure friends based on people with whom I can have deep conversations I can learn from. So it's a very fascinating city and I'm very fortunate to be here. I hope that answers your question. I think it does. I'll go further though. Let me just say, uh, you mentioned just the, 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 the city itself and I, I feel totally certain about it. And clearly, you know, I agree with you in terms of its cosmopolitan nature specifically about downtown, is there anything that, any comments that you would have there? And uh, at this point, really in fairness to you, kind of your initial reaction, so to speak, to, to what you're seeing. Yeah, to me, I think about downtown, I think any other, like Houston downtown is as cool, as functional as any others, but somehow Houston downtown versus any other downtown, like I just compared to Denver where I lived before, Denver downtown makes it like the white collar elitist downtown. Like if I want to go to Denver downtown, I just cannot walk in with a shorts and a t-shirt. Look, you have to wear a jacket maybe. Like it's just the first. But Houston, I really think that's what you have created is a blue collar downtown, which is as good, but for everybody. So that's the big thing I feel about downtown Houston is the inclusivity that is there. And it takes the heart to appreciate that. And I really am glad it is built this way because I think that is the bigger picture, but downtown Houston versus when I compare downtown Denver or any other downtown. Uh, and in a marketing, I just talk about when I say white collar, there's a little snob appeal to cities. Sometimes, you know, it's just like we are a little better. But in my conversations, what I realized is even though you were focusing on central Houston, you always make sure that your V as you talked about, including you and Gail, I just don't want to get into you know, any trouble with Gail. <laughs> you and Gail are first, you and your team, but you always included, not just Central Houston, the bigger Houston always, so it was all together. I think that inclusivity makes us an incredible blue collar city, and that's what I really enjoy. That's great, that's great. It's 
very, I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Now, my last, my last question is really this. Uh, when are we going to throw our block party? <laughs> We're going to do an amazing block party. And now I have stories to share about Bob Yuri in that block party. Absolutely, we will do that. So Bob, this is a fascinating conversation. And as I'm going through in every conversation, I try to find, or it's a game for me, what will I name this conversation, okay? And I think I have an idea of this. The idea, this conversation has to be called the energy of engagement, okay? I really feel Houston chose you and you chose Houston because there's a perfect marriage that happened there. And I think the energy, there's so many levels of energy that was there in this conversation. It started with the leadership of we. It started with the leadership of taking a team through crisis, let every person hang in there, feel included. And I also feel that as you have started to going through, you know, there are things that you talked about is creation starts with a bigger purpose, you know, building the bigger picture. Like you have, there's so much of energy that was there and I really think that the whole thing, the thread behind this conversation is a man who once he started going, kept going. And I think that is very important in today's world for leaders. Because I really think those days of a leader sitting in this corporate office, sitting back and saying, okay, you will do this. No, it doesn't work because we are in the world of blue collar leaders who run with the team. And I really think that this conversation about the energy of engagement of a fascinating leader who keeps going and will keep going till 100 and beyond, truly honored. And thank you, Bob, for taking time to share this with me today. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure to be your guest on this. It's just wonderful. And, and to, frankly, to enjoy your, and I deeply appreciate your, your thinking. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.